Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Speaking on the issues that impact, this is the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. All right, folks, welcome. Welcome back to the program. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. We're in the second hour of this live broadcast. Appreciate you guys coming along for the ride. On Monday, we're just getting started, just getting warmed up. There's no shortage of impactful stories, of stories that do impact uh, the world scene, and we're going to cover some of those uh, in this hour. We're going to be joined in a few minutes by our guest, Mats Nilsson from Sweden, a great analyst all the way around, also a great historian. We're going to be talking about a number of things, Sweden, Iran, and the tensions which are brewing in Europe and Middle East and beyond. Let's look at the big picture, and Matt's going to help us see that through his lens. Looking forward to that. And, of course, our intrepid correspondent, Basil Valentine, is going to be coming in uh, on uh, the live link uh, also uh, in the second hour uh, to weigh in on a couple of important breaking stories. So I'm looking forward to that. We've been uh, chatting with Basil on the back lines, uh, checking out what we're going to be covering on this. Uh, So that'll be a great segment, no doubt. Stay tuned uh, for this hour. Now, in in terms of impactful stories, I do want to shoot over here uh, to uh, the EU, okay? Uh, Everybody's admitting now, and I was reading the Washington Post's morning brief uh, today, I do subscribe to some mainstream publications, uh, not because I'm impressed with the content of their news news content, uh, but you need to know what the establishment are pushing, okay? You also need to know when they sort of issue their signals. And one of the important things, so you watch the New York Times and you watch the Washington Post, when you see them, so like take Ukraine, for instance, Um, they've been all gung-ho for like almost two years now. War, 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 more weapons, more weapons, more weapons, Zelensky, 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 more money, more weapons, you know the drill. So they've been doing that pretty much for two years. So what, what you're looking for is a sea change signal, okay? And you're starting to see that now, and uh, now they're starting to say, you're starting to see the headlines, okay? Those headlines are for you. Make no mistake about it. They're for, they're for you, and they're for people in Washington. They're for you to sort of acclimate you to the ultimate uh, you know, reality, which is that the fait accompli, that things are going to change, uh, that, that we can't win that regime change, we can't do that proxy war, there's no more funding or political will to do X, Y, or Z. Okay, so for Ukraine, now they're saying uh, Ukraine may have lost momentum for good. Okay, this is what the morning brief is saying from the Washington Post. Russia has just outflanked them and is too strong and etc. cetera. Uh, Russia's got way more resources and uh, the Western political support is waning for Ukraine. These are all the things that we told you on this show. From the beginning of the conflict, we said this was going to happen. It's going to be a slow process, and there's just nothing you can do about it. Because you look at the power uh, rankings there between Russia, Ukraine, and NATO, just doesn't stack up. Not only that, that uh, NATO doesn't really have uh, rankings there between Russia, Ukraine, and NATO, just doesn't stack up. Not only that, that uh, NATO doesn't really have any sort of real uh, strategic position in Ukraine which is sustainable, unless you want World War III. Many do, of course, uh, especially in the United States. They, they would not mind World War III because they they believe in their arrogance and their aloofness that they can sit it out, that they can sort of weather the storm with an Atlantic Ocean between them and Europe, no problem, ditto with China in the Pacific, okay? But the Europeans don't have that luxury, you see. Europeans have to live with uh, and deal with all the problems that NATO, the United States and Britain, uh, who run NATO, uh, create. Okay, Understand as well, another important point, I keep repeating this, NATO is the United States and the UK. That's NATO. Okay, Everybody else is a junior partner. Okay, So when you see NATO, it's the US, UK, mainly the US. But the U.S. can't do anything, can't go anywhere, can't invade anybody without Britain. Without Britain, the United States can do nothing because they need to have an appearance of a coalition. They need some legitimacy. Britain still has some soft power cachet when attached to the United States. 
it somehow gives them leverage and the ability to, it greases the tracks for whatever they want to do. So when we're looking at the situation in Ukraine, okay, now there's no more money in Europe. So there's a lot of fights breaking out in Europe. And this could potentially be the ultimate first fissures, if you will, uh, for the breakup of the European Union, maybe piece by piece, because then at some point it just becomes untenable. Hungary is a good example. So Brussels is threatening to hit Hungary, to, to, to damage their economy, to effectively sanction them uh, if they veto Ukraine aid. Believe it or not, the EU strategy aims to spook investors by cutting off funding to Hungary uh, in a standoff over a 50 billion euro aid package to Zelensky. So Viktor Orban, the prime minister of Hungary, is basically saying, you know, we don't want to be involved in shoveling any more cash uh, to Zelensky as he shovels it somewhere else. Uh, we don't want to be involved. And the EU is saying, no, you have to. You have to support this proxy war, okay, because the U.S. says so. The U.S. has told us we need to do this, so you need to do that. Cough up, Hungary. If you don't, we're going to punish you, says the EU. Now now you're getting into a very uh, dysfunctional relationship, okay? Literally, this is uh, getting beaten by your spouse, okay? This is what's happening, or the parents beating the kids. Okay? Brussels is beating its member states. If they don't comply, if they don't support this war, they're going to be punished. It's effectively a sanction. So this is the EU trying to dictate foreign policy for its member states. This is a big step. And if you look at the European Union, this has been always been one of the fundamental problems in erecting a sort of super state. Okay, You can have an economic union, and they did that, the European common market. And you know what? Uh, to a large degree, it's very successful. It's not perfect, but it, it it had a lot of successes. The European common market, Schengen travel, fantastic. So, so not everything in Brussels is bad. Okay, a lot of uh, what Brussels offered initially was very beneficial to to many people, and offered opportunity and uh, growth and also exchange between people, cultures, business, uh, opening markets to other European countries that just didn't exist before. So, but then became the political union. This is where the problems begin. And you can't have a functioning federation, which is what Europe wants to be, a federal Europe or a Soviet Europe, whichever the case may be, is acting and looking more like a Soviet Europe right now. And you need to have lockstep on foreign policy. So they want, also want to have combined European forces, and that's going to require a foreign policy, a unified foreign policy across Europe. I'm telling you right now, it's impossible. It is literally impossible. Maybe in two or 300 years, but not now. Okay, so the EU now has said they will sabotage Hungary's economy, punish it, sanction uh, unofficially, in all but name, sanction the country of Hungary if Budapest blocks aid to Ukraine at a summit this week under a confidential plan drawn up by Ursula von der Leyen and the technocrats in Brussels, which marks a significant es escalation in the battle between the EU uh, and its most pro-Russian member states, says the Financial Times. So the FT, of course, is framing this as, you know, Hungary's a pro-Russian member state. But just understand the gravity of what we're watching here. I personally think when Brussels is behaving like this against its member states, you are looking at the beginning of the end of the European Union. Okay, This is like late-stage empire attitude, which Brussels is displaying. Late-stage empire, they haven't been an empire very long, and they're already sort of lashing out like a dying empire. It really just shows you the disingenuous nature of the entire European Union project. And again, I I, I was stipulating <laughs> the common market's not all bad. Not everything about the uh, common travel. There's a lot of great things about Europe. But uh, political union, foreign policy union, uh, I don't think so. Ukraine's been the big test, and they have failed miserably. Uh, I can see Europe uh, as, you know, maybe peacekeeping force, humanitarian forces. 
providing help and aid to people around the world, protecting people in the way that maybe the UN does. Uh, but the problem is that's probably not going to happen uh, because the United States probably doesn't want to see that anyway. They want to carry on with the NATO charade, the NATO charade for Europe, the protection racket. You're from New York. You're from Jersey. Who do you know what a protection racket is? Hey, you know, you're going to buy your oil from uh, my, my friend Sal over here. We sell good oil. You're going to buy it from us. Yeah, don't buy it from those Russians over there. And you're going to need some weapons because those Russians are dangerous. You got to, you need protection. So pay us. We'll protect you from uh, the Russians and buy our fuel. Uh, don't buy it from uh, anybody else. Okay. Uh, otherwise, you know, we can't guarantee your safety. You know what I mean? It's like an old fashioned protection racket. That's all it is. That's all it is. Just scale it up. That's NATO. It's a protection racket. So what Washington does with NATO and Europe, they've been doing it forever. Here we go again. Good luck, Europe. Wishing you the best. Wishing you the best going forward. Let's take a break right now with TNT, today's news talk. And on the other side, we're going to connect our guest, Matt Nilsson from Sweden. Looking forward to this conversation about global politics and Europe as well. And Sweden, all this and more on the other side. I'm Patrick Henningsen. Stay right there. Now, as we move into an election year in US politics at a time when the Western Empire is under attack from within, as if an orchestrated decline is the plan, whilst at the same time, the rise of BRICS nations represents a rise of a new multipolar order. Institutions that have controlled the world are at last being questioned for their behavior and their failures. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the truth shall set us free. Those two statements sit at opposite ends of the zeitgeist in a world that is filled with death, destruction, deceit, and a wholesale unwillingness to hold anyone in power to account, except for anyone who takes power against the ruling elite, of course. And then we have seen how that system works. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. The Light is Britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies. No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours, where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk The conversation continues. I don't believe it, and I think that's a terrible position that I am in, that I don't trust my government. This is today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. This is TNT, today's news talk. Thank you very much for joining us here in the second hour. And I want to welcome on to the program today our guest, uh, Matt Nilsson uh, from Sweden. He is a political commentator, also uh, is a historian. And uh, I want to talk to Matt. Well, we were talking about Europe before the break. Uh, Hungary uh, potentially uh, being put into the naughty corner by Brussels over the issue of funding the Ukrainian project, which uh, is getting a little bit long in the tooth, uh, according to many people in Europe. I think even its most enthusiastic supporters two years ago, uh, well, it, they just don't have the, the, the thrill is gone, as they say, uh, in, in the relationship with uh, Ukraine and Zelensky. And now we're getting into the dark part of the relationship. Uh, Mats Nielsen, uh, bring bring us on up to date on the situation right now in Europe. Mats, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Uh, you, as always, Europe, yeah, Europe is Europe. Europe. Europe is Europe. It's uh, it's always the idea of Europe isn't. It becomes reinvented basically every decade or so. And Europe never really knows what it's supposed to be. Is it supposed to be a great empire? Is it supposed to be the sum of all the mistakes made in every European country? Or is it just trying to survive a common agricultural policy without messing things up? One never knows. But uh, 
right now, I think the people in Brussels with uh, von der Leyen and, and her crew are trying their best to press gang uh, Orban and Hungary into accepting uh, the gifts to Ukraine. However, the dark horse here is Slovakia, because Orban suddenly has an ally of sorts in uh, in FICO. And he has been making, or, or I would say the whole government right now in Slovakia have been making some quite interesting statements. I saw that the cultural minister uh, recently said that uh, Slovakia was once again uh, opening up for cultural exchange with Russia. And uh, also... Uh, the Ministry of Defense said that we're not giving anything else to, to Ukraine because we don't have anything ourselves anymore. So it stops there. However, I haven't heard Slovakia using uh, any vetoes as to when it comes to making payments. But perhaps uh, Orban can feel strengthened by this. And uh, as we speak, I, I believe that uh, foreign ministers of uh, Ukraine and Hungary are meeting in the Transcarpathian mountain areas between the border between Hungary and Ukraine. Uh, I have yet to see what came out of that discussion, but perhaps uh, there will be some kind of uh, compromise. And But I, given Orban's staunch stance on Ukraine, I would be highly surprised if Orban backs down in any serious way. I mean, he, he can move forward and perhaps give something. But I'm thinking that he will have an ultimate demand that says at least once a year we have to look into these gifts. He, I, I would be extremely surprised if he, he accepts a decision that says four years without any checks and balances. I think Orban will say, okay, we'll withdraw the Hungarian veto, but we have to make it uh, a check every year. And uh, that could be a possible compromise. Uh, that's face-saving for everyone. Um, otherwise, these vetoes are, uh, they are officially, they are there. I mean, in a legal sense, if I, if I look at it uh, as the, the legal history me, uh, these they're always there to say, oh, it's to protect the, the small states. Uh, the veto is there to protect the interests of everyone. But we all know where it ends. The veto is just there for show. Every nation can be pushed into accepting whatever they need to accept. But the, the good thing about having a veto is that you can make decisions or you can make compromises that makes everyone equally dissatisfied. And I think that's the problem with the whole idea of the European Union. Everyone is always equally dissatisfied with everything. And that's why it's not going forward in, in any good sense. It's like you said before, the strength of the European Union was when it was, wasn't a union, but when it was a cooperation between nations concerning the freedom of movement for people and goods. But now, with foreign policy, with the monetary union, with the political union, it's it's going to break asunder. And if it happens in one year, five years, or a decade, I, I wouldn't, I, I couldn't say. But it's definitely not going to stay intact uh, for long. Yeah, because you know what defines uh, a country, Matt's borders, language, and culture. Um, you have a lot of sovereign countries uh, in Europe. They have their own culture. They have their own language. They have their own worldview. They have their yep. own history. Some have, look at Slovakia, you know, and you look at the Russian Orthodox Church and how deeply linked they are to uh, classic Slovak language and all these other countries all have different relations with Russia historically. And you can't just go and like literally drop uh, you know, to balkanize Europe like this and cut it off from Russia, this this is hugely problematic for the European Union. But maybe the Brussels and Washington thought this was possible. You're starting to see the the sort of backlash from this. I think delayed backlash, Matt. But I, I'm feeling it. What do you think? I couldn't agree more. You're, you're dealing with uh, we're dealing with nations that have thousand years of history. Uh, that have defined them. 
And uh, of course, that changes over time. I, I, I often make the parallel between Sweden and Denmark. Uh, the number one enemy of Sweden has been Denmark. We have bled more blood. We have fought mo- the most wars we've ever fought have been against the dastardly Danes. <laughs> today, today we're today we're bosom buddies. I mean, we we have a love hate relationship, of course. We make jokes about the Danes. The Danes make joke about about us. It's brotherly love. But I mean, just go back two hundred years, and and we were still suspicious of each other. So, what I mean, it's 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 not about ideology. It's about global politics about it's about geopolitics so uh 100 years ago before the russian revolution uh, swedish industry was deeply entrenched in russia russia was our second greatest trading partner back before the russian revolution and of course you know all about uh, alfred nobel and, and uh, the interest of the nobel industry in baku but also there were ericsson and all, all the swedish companies uh, 150 years ago, were involved in Russia, and, and there was no problem with Russia back then. The problem with Russia is now, and why is it? Because it's created. You know, it's it's just like a pre-World War One. The powers that be wants to create an animosity between the people, so that they can use this, make a profit, and in the long run, risk a war. Because it's never they that do the dying; it's the lower and middle classes that do the dying. Uh, they just uh, the elites just supply the propaganda and light the match. Unfortunately, if you light a match today, you're lighting a nuclear match, and and uh, that that's the that's the real danger. So the European Union would do good to realize that geographically we're stuck with Russia and the Eurasian continent, and Brussels should draw the conclusion from this. And if not make peace, at least take a neutral stance toward Russia and start rebuilding uh, the relationship. I, I, I know it's a long shot, but uh, it's, it's what Euro- the European Union should do in order to survive. Because, as you know, the American empire is going downhill fast. And what's, what's Europe going to do if, if America suddenly descends into chaos and and uh, a, a civil we, we don't have anything i mean we 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 barely have enough men to to uh, defend you know defend ourselves barely so it's it's not looking good for europe it's not looking good back to medieval times matt uh, invade africa just an idea i'm joking yeah. of course um yeah. now another boogeyman uh, in eurasia is is the islamic republic of iran um, yep. and it, we're starting to see a lot of effort to build up iran as this big danger uh to the west again i know this isn't the first time but periodically they do this um so the situation in gaza right now uh in in palestine with israel th- this has provided uh a new opportunity to sort of you know build up iran as a great threat uh to to the west to to the us of course they always regard it as a threat to israel but 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 europe as well um what's your reading on this and how, how's this sort of affecting does this reach all the way up to scandinavia it this iran iran definitely re- reaches to sweden uh, sweden and iran uh, have had uh, diplomatic relations for a long time the first diplomatic relation established was actually done in 1679 uh, when the swedish king charles XI sent his first emissary to to persia but uh, as of late we sweden and iran have um, been been locked in sort of a struggle uh, the last good standing we had was in 2017 where there was a big delegation from sweden with the social democratic prime minister stefan Löfven, who traveled to iran but then in 2016 the year before that uh ahmed dayali i think yes ahmed dayali uh, Iranian Swedish doctor and researcher uh, with at Karolinska Institute here in Stockholm was arrested and he was charged with spying on the Iranian uh, nuclear program and sentenced to death and uh, you know reports of his foreshadowed execution have been surfacing ever since and and this has been a reason for tension 
add to this that in 2021, Sweden uh, put on trial Hamid Nouri, who was a former Iranian uh, official who was sentenced in Sweden for committing war crimes during the Iran-Iraq war. And this was done in Sweden under the Universal uh, Act of uh, putting anyone on trial who's in, in uh, for uh, war crimes. Of course, we would never do it for an Israeli uh, citizen, but, but with the Iranian citizen, it wasn't that much of a problem. So he's now uh, in prison for life here in Sweden. Uh, and let me see here. 2023, yes, May of 2023 this year, uh, Habib Shab, who was another Iranian-Swedish political activist, was executed by hanging in Iran after being accused for masterminding the attack, the 2018 attack. And then the final uh, bit to this puzzle was that uh, in September 2023, the Swedish diplomat Johan Floderus was arrested. And just yesterday, he was uh, eligible for a death sentence uh, in er an Iranian court. So there is this game of uh, game of convicts, if you will, uh, between Sweden and Iran. So I'm guessing that all this, uh, both uh, Flo especially Floderus, is probably put on charge uh, by Iran in order to have Nuri released. So uh, the relationship between Sweden and Iran is, uh, is strained. And uh, it's, uh, it's not going to get better anytime soon. So I think when it comes to uh, making a boogeyman out of Iran, the America has a great ally allied right now in Sweden. Because the absolute majority in Sweden uh, finds Iran uh, a big bully, for, especially for jailing the Swedish uh, diplomat, uh, Johan Floderus. And, and since I haven't seen the charges, it, they're not available to me. I, 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 have no, I can't give any, any opinion about if it's substantiated or not. But uh, I would say that Sweden is um, a staunch ally of anything that America wants to do against Iran. And I'm thinking a Swedish, uh, a Swedish warship or the Sweden Gripen planes will uh, be down in the Red Sea in uh, just a few weeks' time, is my guess. Uh, to join the coalition of the willing. Uh, the coalition of the willing. Yes. Yep. Yeah, Operation, oh, was it Prosperity Guardian? Oh, there's another one now for the U.S. military. Um, yeah, that'll be interesting. Uh, and this is all too convenient, isn't it, Matt? Uh, when you zoom out geopolitically, um, Sweden has already been pushed into the fray against Russia, basically, yeah. as, you know, frontline cannon fodder uh, against Russia to, you know, had their arm twisted to join NATO. Turkey's finally relented uh, and said, yep, they're going to ratify uh, their vote for Sweden's entry. I think Hungary's still holding out, though, Matt. But this Hungary is still holding yeah. out, but it's, it's, it's just a matter of time because uh, Orban has been on record saying that Hungary will not be the last country. So I'm thinking he's coordinating with uh, Erdogan now, who, who has to sign, officially sign the paper before it can be sent to Washington. Um, so I think uh, Orban will, will make the decision in the Hungarian parliament, and then uh, Erdogan will sign. And then I will be opening a real good bottle of whiskey and, and uh, spending my night uh, contemplating the ills of, of the future for Sweden. Unfortunately, I, yeah, all those big uh, Cold War underground shelters that you have in Sweden—they're uh, gonna have to activate Ooh. all that network again, right? Yeah, we we have to do that. Um, I'm 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 well well set set up for myself and my family, but uh, all all the civil defense uh, material has to be re rebuilt from scratch. So uh, another um, well, tons of taxpayer money will have to go to that as well. Mm. So, so uh, Iran being an ally of Russia, and all of a sudden this takes on 
you know, Sweden and uh, the United States could definitely use um, Sweden with, with with their efforts there. But it's all too convenient, isn't it, uh, creating these blocks um, on each side of this uh, divide? Um, so a, a, as long as somebody is an ally of somebody else, that makes them automatically an enemy of you and your allies. And and are we not returning to you know pre World War One great power politics now? That's that's where we are, and uh, that's the analogy I, I always make. And uh, it's you, I could understand the Cold War because they were officially ideologies that were put together, uh, put against each other, uh, that were quite different in in its essence. Uh, communism and and uh, de- semi democratic West, and uh, you could have these discussions. But right now, it's about um, it's about money. It's about resources. Uh, it, it, it's not about it's not about a threat. It's about resources, and it's about maintaining a strategic advantage against a fictive enemy. So, so uh, we are definitely right back to 1901, 1905, 1910, 1913. Take your pick. But it's a time of quickly changing allegiances. And it's a time where a slight spark can set off another Balkan war. And another Balkan war can lead to another world war. It's just going to take a few weeks now, I would say. It's where we're not far from it. because, And especially considering who's, who's the commander-in-chief in the White House. The point I'm making is we don't know who's commander-in-chief of the White House. Because it's quite obvious it's not Biden. I, I think the people around Biden have enough common sense not to allow him to be the commander in chief. But I don't hear anyone in America asking the million dollar question who's actually in charge? Is it the vice president? Is it Blinken? Who, who is it? Is it someone behind the green curtain? Uh, and this is the danger. And um, you have these unelected, uh, unelected officials. Uh, that are working, they're involved in some kind of grand deception, uh, trying to urgently uh, create uh, a situation where America can remain on top. But that's a fool's errand. America is too far gone. And and it it part part of me it's it's is saddened by that because the idea of America it had potential, but now um, it's uh, it's gone. And what, what America is doing now, it's a dead empire walking and it's lashing out. It's lashing out and it's dangerous. So Iran, it's Sweden and uh, all, all the rest of us, we're just, we're pawns on the great chess game. And the players, they're, they're safely tucked in behind the curtain. And if push came to shove and God forbid a third world war started, they will relocate from behind the curtain down to their bunkers and uh, they won't be doing the dying it it will be uh, the people high on uh, nationalist propaganda who will be killing each other again and then when the smoke clears everyone will look at each other and say why why were we doing this and then uh, you and i perhaps if we survive can step up and say we told you so so but uh, what's the point Millions of people will have died needlessly. Mm-hmm. So, so it's it's uh, twenty twenty four. It's uh, you ne- you never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I very very difficult time tabling any predictions, even general yep. predictions this year. And, and I, I've always been able to do it in previous years and be you know fairly accurate, maybe fifty fifty plus percent, but not this year, not this year. I've seen things happen, Matts, in the last couple of months that I would never thought I'd see in my lifetime, quite frankly, <laughs> in the yeah. last couple of years too, but I mean, especially in the last 12 months. So yeah, um, yeah I can't imagine what surprises lay before us uh, <laughs> in the next 12 months uh, as well. So I, I hope, Matts, that um, you know people are taking some of these um, more fundamental points into consideration uh just before we break here um do you think do you think there's an opportunity uh for some 
mercurial uh, voices of sanity or common sense to emerge uh, on the European political scene because people are suffering? Um, or are, are we in a kind of terminal sort of spiral phase here? Um, I'm talking about the U.S. and Europe, especially Europe. What Your thoughts before we break. Well, a quick take on that. Uh, perhaps the European Parliament election can show some uh, some change. And then we might have an upcoming quick uh, snap election in uh, Germany as well. You have uh, the Sarah uh, Wagenknecht, her party, if you uh, read about her. She's one of these new leftist uh, individuals that may or may not be able to sway Germany. Because what you need is you need a, you need a big power in Europe to break rank. It's not mm. enough if, if Slovenia does it. It's not enough if, if Hungary does it. You need one of the bigger countries like Italy or Spain or, or Germany or France to do it. And um, I, I'm putting my hope to the French and German. I'm putting my hope to the farmers. Uh, I, I'm, of a, I'm of a farmer heritage myself. And I often say that I would gladly put any of my down-to-earth farming old uncles to take charge of Sweden instead of the people we have today, because they have that knowledge of common sense and the feeling of a of a circular life that you have to prepare for what's coming next and everything will come back and haunt you. Unless you prepare for winter, you won't have anything. The politicians of today, they have a linear kind of thought that we're, we're here now and then we're going here. Unfortunately, it might end in our Armageddon. Uh, so uh, I, I would really enjoy a kind of a circular political thinking in Europe. Uh, if, if one of the big countries can break rank, perhaps Germany, then there is a chance. Otherwise, I'm still right now more of a doom and gloom man that, than I've ever been before. So, well, yeah, I think, sad, I think sad to say. We're looking for that. We're looking for that uh, that uh, person or that government or you know that country to break ranks. And I agree with you, Matt. That it, that, that would cause, I think, a cascading effect uh, that would be irreversible. And uh, so I'm, I I hold out hope. I'm very, I'm always a hopeless optimist, even at the worst of times. And Matt, you have to be. You have to be. You know, otherwise, what's the point? Honestly, yes. but. Um, Mats Nielsen, uh, political commentator, author, historian, thank you very much for joining us on TNT this week. Thank you very much. There goes Mats Nielsen, folks. You want to follow him on X Twitter as well. Uh, we'll try to drop his uh, account there in the TNT chat community. Uh, and just go to my feed at 21Wire. You'll see our show post. You can click on all the guests' Twitter feeds. We keep them there every day right before the show at 21Wire. Uh, so listen, let's take a break. And I want to catch up with our friend Basil Valentine on the other side for the latest. Looking forward to this conversation. I'm Patrick Kenningson, your host. You're listening. And watching TNT. Today's News Talk. We'll be right back. JDRF's vision is to create a world without type 1 diabetes. The type 1 diabetes community is at the heart of everything JDRF does. We were founded by the type 1 diabetes community. In the main, we are governed by the type 1 diabetes community, we're energised by the type 1 community, and we're accountable to the type 1 diabetes community. It's on their behalf that we exist, and it's on their behalf that we must succeed. JDRF exists to rid the world of type 1 diabetes. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. So for us, that means rallying all the resources and all the people and all the organisations required to make that a reality as quickly as possible. The world's best researchers, exciting innovative companies and the passion of the type 1 diabetes community then delivered through the health system so lives get better every day, day after day, until the day we find a cure. To everybody in the type 1 diabetes community, no matter your age or stage with the disease, whether you were diagnosed recently or a long time ago, we need you to know that we are here working on your behalf to deliver a world without type 1 diabetes as quickly as we can. Thank you to everybody who supported JDRF in so many ways. You are making our vision of a world without type 1 diabetes possible. to dance and dream of a better life. 
a brighter future with nutritious food to eat, a chance to learn, to get an education, and do incredible things. Today, thanks to Children International and friends like you, she dances for the world. Together, we give children in poverty a chance to set their sights high and achieve their dreams by ensuring that they have access to health care, education, life skills, and more so they can grow, thrive, and believe in themselves. Gracias. Gracias. Learn more about Children International and join us in our life-changing work at children.org today. This is the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to this live broadcast. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We're in the final segment of the final hour of the live broadcast. Thank you for rejoining us. Great segment with Mats Nilsson uh, from Sweden before the break. I really enjoyed his perspective on Europe. Certainly Europe is uh, not looking great at the moment uh, for a number of reasons. So we'll keep an eye on that sort of uh, critical uh, ICU situation uh, with Brussels and its member states. Uh, appreciate his commentary. Let's uh, shift gears right now. I want to go over to our intrepid correspondent, Basil Valentine is joining us right now on TNT's live link. Basil, welcome to the program. Good evening, Patrick. Good to be with you. And hello to our listeners and viewers all around the world. Now we're looking forward to getting some breaking updates on some of the key stories here uh, before the top of the hour, Basil, but uh, go ahead. Uh, well, you know, the uh, situation in Gaza doesn't improve, let it Put it that way, uh, the latest is that the Israeli Navy is firing at residents gathered in tents on Rafa City Beach. Rafa, of course, in the south of the Gaza Strip, the city nearest to the Egyptian border. And uh, thousands of Palestinians are camping there in tents and the Israeli Navy have opened fire on them. Um, also, of course, in the news is the is the consistency problem. Israeli ministers last night were openly calling for the mass deportation of Palestinians at a conference entitled For the Victory of Israel, Settlement Brings Security, returning to the Gaza Strip and Northern Samaria. That's what they call the West Bank. The conference included speeches from many public figures including Knesset members and ministers from the current coalition government, as well as rabbis, settlement activists, families of soldiers currently fighting in Gaza, and heads of various southern councils. Uh, if I can quote, we need to find a legal way to voluntarily emigrate Palestinians, said the National Security Minister, before a Likud lawmaker explained that in war, Voluntary is a state you impose on someone until they give their consent. Conference blasted by the Israeli opposition head who said it undermines a potential deal and endangers IDF soldiers. So let me get this straight. So Israeli citizens and settlers are physically blocking aid from entering Gaza after after the ICJ has issued a provisional uh, uh, warning uh, to state of Israel saying stop all genocidal activities that includes Basel preventing water food aid from entering the Gaza Strip and instead of helping to you know open up these channels to allow more things and to stop the genocide has Netanyahu mobilized his hardcore wing of the population to help him ha make a genocide happen? Uh, well, interesting you should say hardcore wing, Patrick, because one uh, report on Israeli television today talking to the demonstrators, activists, call them what you will, blocking aid from reaching Gaza, uh, was crowing about the fact that these people come from all parts of the political spectrum. The reporters said that the uh, 
the uh, people blocking the aid entering Gaza were left wing, right wing, centrists, all different walks of life and all different political persuasions. So it would be a mistake to think that this fervor is this genocidal fervor. There's no other way to describe it. You know, let them starve, they're shouting. Um, no way to describe it as other than absolutely endemic in Israeli society. This is a, it's total madness. So, uh, but so of course they're just... emboldened by the fact that the on the back of some spurious allegations, possibly extracted under torture, the United Kingdom, United States, several other countries uh, have cut off funding to the United Nations Relief Agency. That is grist to their mill. You see, they feel they have the West, as it were, on their side. And that is the theme of Douglas Murray's interview with Netanyahu on Talk TV, which is going to be aired tonight, I believe, where uh, the Israeli prime minister has said that Israel will go it alone. So even if, and it doesn't look like the case at the moment, even if the UK, the US and other allies pull the plug finally on the genocide, that won't stop the Israelis. They I mean, they've disregarded international law for 75 years. Why on earth would they suddenly start complying with it now just because the ICJ? I mean, I don't think people fully understand or comprehend the arrogance, apart from anything else, of the Israelis. I mean, the ICJs, I mean, they turned up, interestingly enough, to present their defence. Um, as far as the court of public opinion was concerned, the only uh, sensible interpretation of of what the ICJ decided was that they had to stop what they're doing. But Israel, because there was no explicit demand for a ceasefire, has decided that it's a green light. And it seems like the US agree with them. I can't wait for Douglas Murray's uh, next book, uh, In Defense of Genocide by Douglas That's Murray. Right. I mean, it's a something bombastic like that maybe i i'm kidding of course but um he's kind of become the court stenographer uh for uh the netanyahu regime it's quite extraordinary yes. isn't it yeah it is i would say court jester patrick rather than <laughs> okay. stenographer he's a, a laughable character if you ask me with no moral compass whatsoever and he's engaged in this specious attempt to shackle uh israeli genocide and enlarged settler colonialism to immigration issues in Europe and what he sees as the decline of the West. He seems oblivious to the fact that wars for Israel are one of the main drivers of that immigration. Uh, Iraqi refugees, Afghan refugees, Palestinian refugees, Syrian refugees are coming into Europe as a direct result of Israeli aggression or Israeli-inspired aggression. But that seems to pass Douglas Murray by. Yeah, well, we can't... Uh... We can't we can't talk about the causes of anything uh or you know what led up what else that's just totally verboten we can't talk about that we can only talk about effects and effects of effects uh, not causes um but uh yeah well spotted there he's moved on from the spectator uh from his days at the spectator there he's now uh, a very high-ranking israeli uh information operation uh unofficial official um as it were it's interesting uh how this is issue is being treated by the western media have you seen any movement uh in the western in the uk media and you've got a range of publications uh there in the uk uh between the tabloids the broadsheets uh, you've also got a few of the sort of far left uh, rags as well on the newsstand. The Morning Star, for instance, I see that sometimes. Uh, has there been any change in the coverage of the Israel-Gaza situation uh, in the last couple of weeks? Uh, well, you know, the BBC seemed determined to relegate the suffering of the Palestinian people and the hundreds of people killed every day to the bottom of its news part. It's quite obvious uh, that... It's not an important subject anymore. I mean, the day after the ICJ verdict, the Times newspaper, supposedly the paper of record in the UK, did not cover the story until page 42. I mean, this is, you know, one could make a legitimate case that this is 
the biggest news story on a humanitarian level since the end of the Second World War. A country is being accused of genocide, the ultimate crime. You would think that this was taking up all the oxygen in the mainstream media newsrooms uh, to the almost complete exclusion of anything else. You would think that the great and the good, the churchmen, the lawyers, celebrities and all the rest of it were shouting in their loudest possible voices that this must be brought to an end immediately. But in fact, in a you know really sort of sinister way, it's being uh, quietly sidelined. No, it is. It is, and that's it's quite it's quite shocking, uh, because as they continue to censor this story in the West, uh, the, it continues to happen on the ground, and things are going to get progressively more dire, more worse. Uh, we're seeing a lot of actors in the region now uh, coming to a boil uh, against an increased military presence uh, in the Red Sea, for instance. So I, I don't think this aloofness. Uh, of the West is really going to do it any favors, Basil, because, you know, if the average person on the street is unaware uh, and doesn't see the full picture, well, our, our MPs, our parliamentarians are reading the very same media. That's where they're getting their information as well. So it's not going to be top of their mind either. That's the problem. Well, I mean, you talk about Parliament, Patrick, uh, a Labour MP has been kicked out of the party for referencing Gaza on International Holocaust Remembrance Day, mm -hmm. which is supposedly to remember the genocide of the Second World War and other genocides. But by evening mentioning Gaza, even though the ICJ have said it's plausibly recognizable as a genocide, she's been kicked out of the Labour Party, uh, which that. of course is prompting you know commentators to say, well, it's quite obvious that the that the Likud, that the Israeli government is now controlling the Labour Party via its proxies in the UK. That's Kate Osamore, right? That's right. So she's a former shadow minister. She's she she's a high-ranking Labour member of standing. Okay, um, she's been. I saw the 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 condemnation in the letter by the. Uh, the board of deputies, the board of deputies. So I guess the board of deputies are running UK politics still. Well, well, you see, the name, the board of deputies of British Jews, uh, appears to represent the whole of the UK Jewish community. It doesn't. But it doesn't. It doesn't represent. It doesn't. It, doesn't. No, it represents a very. The big yeah, that's problem. the problem. Because we're, we're if out you of go time. against it, we're out of time. We're out of time. <laughs> we're gonna have to pick up this conversation. We just got into the hot, the heat of it. Basil Valentine, thank you very much for joining us on TNT. Thank you, Patrick. There he goes. Big thanks to Matt Nilsson as well, Sam Husseini, Basil Valentine. Been a fantastic program. More coming tomorrow. See you guys then. Same time, same place. Patrick Henningsen here signing out.